Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, this is uh, Sean Kemp, uh, former NBA basketball player for the Seattle Supersonics. And uh, just want you to know that uh, we're all part of the Jake Brown Show. And welcome to the Jake Brown Show, everybody. CBS Radio's played out of iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. You know where to find us. And uh, Jake Brown Radio and Jake Brown Show is the social media platforms where you get to us. A late addition this week to the podcast. Excited to welcome on. You know the guy. He's the Rain Man. He's a six-time NBA also. Remember him in Seattle, Cleveland, Portland, and Orlando. It is Sean Kemp joining the Jake Brown Show this week. Sean, what's going on, man? Happy New Year. Well, happy New Year to you, Jake. Um, not much going on here in Seattle. We're just getting ready for the Seahawks game on Saturday, man. Hoping the Seahawks get a uh, fresh breath of air and come out with some energy this weekend. Seahawks are such a weird team this year. You never know which team comes in week in and week out. Are you confident here going into the playoffs? Well, I mean, I think we all got some question marks, but I think there's question marks with every team out there. But this year in particular, we, I think the fans have – have a little more question marks than what we've had in the past with the Seahawks. So we're just hoping that the offense gets going. The defense usually plays pretty good. We're hoping that the offense gets going early. Yeah, I think they get by Detroit pretty easily. But after that, it's going to be a question because, I mean, the rest of the NFC is stacked with Atlanta, the Giants, the Packers, the Cowboys. Um, so we'll see what happens. Does, does Seattle, as your guy who lives there, does it clearly miss the Supersonics? Like, is it craving for an NBA team to come there? It is, it is. I mean, there's a ton of basketball fans around here. Um, they miss basketball, you know, and it's definitely, they, they talk about it on a daily basis. It's, um, you know, it's a big conversation around here always is that we're, we're still trying to get the uh, the people behind it, which they do. They have a lot of people behind it, different organizations behind it. And uh, we're just hoping something happens in the future where we get a chance to have another NBA franchise here. Do you see realistic as that coming to fruition in the next, say, 10 years? I think so. I think so, definitely. I think, um, you know, Seattle is a, is a pretty big marketplace. They, I mean, they have a good soccer team, um, you know, good football team. The baseball team is making strides in the right direction. And, um, you know, basketball was such a part of the community around here for so long that I think that the people won't settle until they have a team back here. And, um, you know, it's just it's just unfortunate business-wise that the team was, you know, was able to move to Oklahoma City. But we're definitely looking for that opportunity and got our fingers crossed. You were part of, obviously, a great run there with the Supersonics before they switch over and become the Thunder. Uh, in 89 to 97, you played there. And almost that time was cut short as recently, and we, we said before that you have heard about this, that – you were almost traded, as George Carl in his new book, uh, Furious George, talks about it. Uh, you, Ricky Pierce, and a first-round pick almost traded to the Bulls for for Scottie Pippen. And Carl in the book said he was in favor. He called MJ, who told him to do it. Uh, MJ said, Scotty can make your other players better. Kemp can't. Carl said he would miss you. But he thought pay- the combination of Payton and Pippen in a trap – 
got him excited. The deal was backed out because um, I think it was your owner, Barry Ackerley, uh, did not want to do that deal. Uh, what are your thoughts about that deal almost going down? I mean, would would you have been excited to play with Jordan? I mean, what, what's going through your mind when you heard about that? Uh, well, I, I think, you know, as, as most players, I've always been excited to play against Michael Jordan. And um, you always want to play against the best. And that's kind of how I've seen it. I, You know, I'm a kid who grew up on the outside of Chicago. I'm from Indiana. And I grew up right on the outside of Chicago. So it had been a little different for me to be, like, playing right back at home. Um, but, you know, I, I, love, I love playing in Seattle. And I'm, when this particularly happened, we was actually playing in the, uh, the Dream Team 2. Uh, and we were having practice. And I remember, and I can tell you how it works. I remember waking up one morning before we had practice. And I, and I thought I heard my name on the TV station. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking, you know, I wake up, it's like 6 in the morning. And I, I, it's ESPN talking. And then I hear about this trade about me getting traded for for Scottie Pippen, and it, it didn't really bother me. But I just it's just one of those things that, like I said, um, you know, like you you get to the NBA and then you have success, and you just want to play against the best. Um, you don't want to play with the best. So and I always find it a great challenge, like to play against Michael Jordan, to play against um, Magic Johnson, to play against Larry Bird, to play against all those good players because it's something that you can take away from it. Uh, you know, if I did get the chance to play with Michael Jordan, I probably got a chance to, to maybe go for a, a championship, you know, more than one year as we did here in Seattle. But, you know, um, you just, you know, you really, as an athlete, you really try not to think about that stuff. You really just want to play the game, have as much fun and success as you possibly can. Yeah, well, it was it, it's crazy because when you think about it, I mean, think about how NBA history could have potentially changed if that deal went down, I mean, that's would have been maybe arguably the biggest trade of the '90s when you look back at it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it was it was a little different, and um, and I think the fans had something to do with the trade. You know, I believe this trade actually it probably was going down already went down as far as the trade. It was accepted. And I believe yeah. the fans started calling in here in Seattle, complaining yep. to the ownership about me getting traded, and uh, the owner changed his mind on the trade. So, you know, it was one of those things where you're an athlete and then you, you, you start getting a success as an athlete and then you say, you know what, man, the fans really like me. So, you know, you really don't want to leave the place where the fans kind of have your back a little bit. So you're like, you know what, you know, I, I, I like to go back there and stick it out and uh, play for the people who really want me. Did did you talk with the – was it just the callers or did you talk with the owner saying, hey, like, I'd rather you not do this trade? Like – I'm I'm curious what went through your mind when you see it on the radio, uh, hear it on the radio, and see it on the TV. Well, well, as it came to me, the fans were threatening to burn down the arena. They were threatening to, you know, just turn in the season tickets and, and things like this. And, um, you know, and when those things happen, I mean, like I said, you just you have the spirit inside you, and you kind of say to yourself, like, man, you know what? I got a pretty good group around here, so. The only message that I sent back to him was just let me know, man. My my focus was really just playing with some of the best players at the in the world at the time with the Dream Team too. We were actually staying in Chicago at this time when this when this trade was going on. I was wow. actually in Chicago practicing wow. with the Dream Team too. So, um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things, man. Where you you're an athlete, and sometimes you think you're so good, you're never going to be traded. Well, all athletes, some 
where down the line is going to be mentioned in the trade. I think. Do you? I mean, you you did you obviously t- tell me you you want to play against the best, but you had to you have to looking back at it kind of salivate and lick your chops at the thought of playing with the goat Michael Jordan uh, and that team. And I mean, you guys maybe could have won three, four. I mean, I hate to pull a LeBron line here and uh, with all these titles, but you could have won like a, a handful of titles. Yeah, but you got to remember, this uh, This is in the 90s where it really wasn't cool to jump on a, on Super a boat team. where the yeah. team was really doing well. You mm-hmm. know, so just recent, in recent years, it just became where it was okay and it was cool. And it's, it's fine for an athlete to say, hey, you know what, I'm on a bad team. Let me go to a great team and, and be good. So in the 90s, it was more of a thing where that was the wrong thing to do, that you didn't want to be mentioning those words of saying, here's this team that you've been playing against, and then all of a sudden you're going to go join ship with them. So it was just one of those things where I think at the – you know, I'm a young guy at the point in time, and I'm just saying to myself, you know what, we got a pretty good team in Seattle. I mean, I don't – I like Michael Jordan. I like to play against him, and I've seen him play when I was in high school and a lot of different things. But, you know, uh, I mean, I enjoy playing against those guys. I mean, I think that's how the fans respect you. You know, the fans really only respect you if you really play well and good against the best. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy when you think of it because Pippen at the time led the Bulls in all five major uh, statistical categories because Jordan obviously right. was retired. Um, it it would have been a wild deal. George Carl coming out with this book. You've heard, I mean, some of the comments here. I mean, what he said about Melo, what he said about uh, Kendall Gill, what he said about some of these guys. Uh, what What were your thoughts when you heard these recent comments by Carl? I mean, a, a little... I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I also think that, you know, you you kind of got to know the business. I think it's unfortunate probably for George because George is he's, 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 he's such a good coach and a good guy, and I respect him so much. Man. He he not only helped me as a um, a basketball player, but he, he, helped, he helped me grow up as a young man, and uh, he challenged me at a time in my life where I really needed that challenge. Uh, one of the best coaches I ever played for. I don't have anything negative to say against him. I, I, I wish sometimes when these people come out with these books that they kept it more on a positive end. But the truth of it is, is that you know when you go through these situations, you're going to have some negative feelings, and coaches are going to have some negative feelings. Most coaches aren't going to tell you the truth. So at the end of the day, I respect George Carl for telling the truth and being honest with his feelings. I mean, you say he's a nice guy, but is he with with this kind of stuff? I mean, what he said about Melo and then Terry Stotts fired back. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of back. I mean, Ken, Kenny Martin wants to choke. Kenny Martin wants to pull a Latrell Sprewell right now on uh, George Carl. Absolutely, man. He's a nice guy because this is what it is, and I explain it to you. You have these certain type of coaches out there. Some coaches are going to you know shoot you crap, and some coaches are going to try to make you better by just telling you George is the type of coach where he's going to challenge you. He's going to find something to challenge you with, whether it's your play, whether it's your attitude, Mm -hmm. whether it's the way that you carry yourself. It's going to be something that he finds to challenge you because he wants to see what he can get out of you. That's what I respect for him the most because at first I didn't quite understand George Carl. Um, you know, but I, I definitely learned to, to respect him and, and, uh, and appreciate him because, you know, the way that you shut these coaches up when they challenge you like this is just play hard, man. Just play the game. 
play hard, do what you can, and let bygones be bygones. If um, if you play your butt off, normally coaches are going to have, you know, good things to say about you, and they're going to have number positive attitude with you. But you know, you have these players sometimes who are very very sensitive about comments. You know, myself, I I was always taught that if a coach gets on you, you know, you you got to take it, but do something about it. So show your actions through your play, basically. And uh, the way that you shut a coach up is just play better, play harder. And I think, um, you know, that's what I learned to do in the NBA. And I think a lot of us, like Gary Payton and a lot of different guys before us, done the same thing. But also you're going to have guys who are very, very sensitive uh, that he mentioned in his book who don't like that challenge. Not all guys can take that challenge to become better. And I think at the end of the day what Georgia's trying to do is challenge these young men to become better basketball players. I can argue that, but when he 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 did comment about like Melo's father and stuff like that, isn't right, that crossing right. the line just a little bit? It is. It is definitely. Um, you know, I have, I have this one thing that you you never do. You never talk about a person's family. You never talk about their past. Um, you know, it really. When I heard those things, it kind of bothered me a little bit because it was kind of just the opposite with myself and George. He was more. Of willing to be more of a father figure to me and Gary, talk to us, invite us to his house, spend time with us, um, you know, show us what the professionalism is all about. Uh, you know, I think that's more of what he was about to myself. Um, you know, he's the type of guy that if you didn't quite get it, then he would bring people around you and try to get the message to you. Uh, you know, one year he bring in Julius Irving just to hang out with us to talk to us, to kind of give us that that uh, that mentorship a little bit. So I think, you know, in a lot of ways you've been positive, but it was just taken in the wrong way. And then another comment he made was the PED problem in the NBA. Have you seen – Do you, have you seen that happen? Do you believe those comments at all? No, I don't. I don't. I'm not quite sure where Coach Carl was coming with that. Um, but I can promise you this. You can look at these guys' bodies in the NBA and tell that they're not very much on PEDs and things like that. Uh, you know, it's not, if anything, it would have been, you know, probably back in the 90s where guys were a little bit bigger. But I really couldn't imagine guys right now that were using PEDs because you don't really see any bulky guys. They're not very, very many big men left in the NBA, definitely with size or with um, extra muscle or physique. So, I'm quite not sure where he was coming with with that. Maybe he saw something that I didn't, but I didn't really see any. I never saw any type of steroid use, PD use, or anything throughout my career. I'm just trying to de- uh, determine against Sean Kemp, the Rayman here on the Jake Brown Show. If if this was like a combination of he's actually just mad right now and he's trying to sell more books. I mean, I feel like this is going to be mm-hmm. a bestseller mm-hmm. at this rate. Right. Well, I, I think I think what happens is this: you have these people to call you up. They want you to write a book. They want you to have something that is going to draw the attention of the fans that enjoy the game of basketball. So if they come out and they say some of these things and they're not quite sure what they're true or not, I think sometimes these book stories are released in the media, but then when the actual book comes out, they're not in the book. So I question sometimes what not what what's being said, actually with the author of the book and the way that they're writing the story, really. Because, I mean, how can you mention these stories in the media, but all of a sudden 
they're not in the book. You see what I'm saying? So I do, I but they are excerpts from the book. These are actual ec- excerpts. Yeah, so I, I would just say that this is this is a way that the book company is probably trying to sell the book and mm-hmm. promote the book in a, in a very bad tasting way. You know what I'm saying? And um, you know, these days when you say anything about this stuff, like TDs and stuff like that, you really got to have proof to say that. Mm-hmm. When I played 14 years in the NBA, never seen guys talking about uh, PED, steroid use, or anything like that. So. You know, I, I was just really amazed when I saw those comments and, you know, the other comments, I just think that George was maybe maybe he's talking to the author and he mentioned certain things and they went back and they kind of just made it more of a, created a story about it. But, you know, definitely not all the guys that Coach Carl coached didn't like him. A lot of the guys did like him. And, you know, I'm sure it was some guys that didn't like him because he was a tough, he's a tough-minded coach. Was he the best coach in terms of X's and O's and – uh, behind the scenes that you had, or was there someone better? No. No, I won't say he was the best coach, um, but I, I, I think um, that he was right up there. I played My last year I played for Doc Rivers mm. uh, there in Orlando, and, and, and I also played for Mike Fratello, and those are two great coaches, man. Those those guys, they really, they really taught me a lot about basketball, and George did also, uh, but these guys, like, Doc Rivers. I mean, he really—he was just—he was a good player, but he also understands the game of basketball, and he challenges you in a way that is really good and it's, it's peaceful. It's not as controversy. So I always appreciated that that Doc, like Doc Rivers, could come to you and tell you you had to play better instead of him blasting you in the media about something or uh, or saying a story about you. He was more of the coach that came to you and just told you directly other than just uh, mentioning things in articles and stuff. So you didn't really see situation when you were in Seattle. It seems like it happened over time where Carl got into riffs with players that much? A little bit. A little bit. Like, I mean, I, I was in Seattle when him and Kendall had some differences. And, you know, I think it was blame the share on both ends of that. You know I mean? It wasn't just George. It was a little bit of both. And, you know, it's, it's like anything else, man. Athletes get a little sensitive sometimes and, you know, uh, coaches usually dig where they know it's going. Where those athletes are going to be a little sensitive, so mm-hmm. they usually push those buttons when they know that they can be pushed. Playing with Gary Payton in the glove, I mean, how much smack did this guy talk? And you practice and play with him every day. <laughs> he had a, to be, should be talking junk all day. Well, to be honest with you, Gary is talking right now. <laughs> <laughs> I can promise. We can hear that. him from here. Yeah, you can hear him from here. And you know what? It's one thing to talk like that, and you know, and then you you get a little scared. But Gary was the type of kid that he looked for a challenge, and I and I loved to play with him. And I actually saw him playing at the University of Oregon. It was my first year in the NBA, and I, I fell in love with his game because he was a, he was absolutely what I needed. I wanted to play with somebody who was young, energetic, and who wasn't afraid. And, you know, I came into the NBA at an early age, so I was playing with a lot of older guys at the time. And uh, it was fun for me to see Gary play at Oregon. And I told the organization, that's the guy right there. That's the guy that we need because I need somebody who to travel with me, go on the road, who's not afraid. And I think we and him can do it. I think we could go into these arenas, not be afraid, and not just put on the show, but really challenge our own teammates to play even better basketball. And if anything, I think that's what we did best was 
being able to challenge our own teammates to play better. You also could be. I mean, what do you think? Are you the best duo in NBA Jam history? <laughs> no doubt about <laughs> it, man. Oh, you know, it's so funny that, um, man, still when I travel around and I see different people, sometimes they'll mention the game of basketball, but I promise you this, they're going to mention the game of NBA Jams. Oh, as soon as I mentioned to my friend, they said, oh, I used to play with him and Gary in NBA Jam all the time. <laughs> no doubt about it, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we still, it's so funny. Um, when I go back to Indiana, me and some of the fellas, we still play that game in the summertime. We have a lot of fun doing it. Sean Kemp joining us, SK40 underscore Rain Man on Twitter. McDonald's All-American, a six-time All-Star, uh, and a 1994 world champion. Uh, looking back on your career, uh, you made a couple of potential comeback attempts. Was there anything that you would have done differently uh, towards the end there around 2003? Not at all. Mm-hmm. Not at all, man. It was. This is what it is like. You 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 want to play professional sports when you're a young man, so you do everything that you possibly can. And the truth of it is, is that you're probably going to have maybe ten years, maybe ten great years. Mm-hmm. So you go out, and you have as much fun, you get your body strong, you play as best you possibly can, and you get that feeling. And of course, all of us athletes, we want to extend that. We want to play fifteen years. We want to play 20 years. We want that. But, you know, it's just not meant for everybody for to do that. And, you know, I was okay with my career. Uh, you know, I was able to make the all-star team. was able to make it to the championship. We did not win. But I enjoyed playing the game because we played hard. We played strong. And we tried to win every game. And we won a lot of games. But I don't look back at my career and say, you know, I wish I would have played two more years or three more years. Not at all. I, um, I look back and say that I was able to play the game of basketball uh, not get hurt, walk away from the game pretty much in my own timetable. The one thing that I will tell you this is that, you know, like anything else, sometimes when you take things for granted a little bit, as I did in my career, if you gain a little weight, you go to lose weight, you, you get your body back in shape, then usually something happens to you physically. And basically, like me, I tore up my knee a little bit. A lot of people don't realize that. So when they were saying those comeback careers, that's kind of what happened. I kind of I tore up my knee a little bit, and then you – you lose the desire to play the game. Sean Kemp joining us here on the Jake Brown Show. Now, we, we talked a little bit about smack talk and Jordan. Now, it, Jerry Stack has denied this, but Rashawn McLeod told me uh, last March that uh, Jordan once sang to Stackhouse while they were balling, Anita Baker's giving you the best that I got. Did you ever witness Jordan or any of your any player like a Gary Payton like sing to a an opponent? No, but I do know that Michael Jordan was the he used to you know guys listen to rap and rock music. Michael Jordan used to listen to Anita Baker. That was his stuff. That was his that was his inspirational music right there. So he never so, serenaded uh, anyone when you played him. He was never yeah. singing. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you, I don't, I don't put it past Michael Jordan to sing a little Anita Baker to a former North Carolina player. I do not. <laughs> so Michael sometimes when he was on the court um, didn't try to initiate the trash talking, but if you push him in those directions and you really challenge him in those directions, you would really bring it out of him. So he wasn't the type of guy that was going to come and start talking trash before the game, like a Gary Payton, 
But he was the type of guy that if you push those buttons, you better believe he was going to talk it and he was going to bag it up. What's different about today's NBA game that you're not a fan of? I mean, when you played, it was kind of a, the era of the big man, and now it's become the era of the yeah. Steph Curry's and the three-point shots and the super teams. Yeah. Is it an NBA, current NBA, that kind of bothers you as a former player that had a completely different era? It does. Like, well, the thing about it is this, man, is the game of basketball is supposed to be played at both ends of the sport, or the, both ends of the game. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, you have the game of basketball, and it's all about fast pace. So it's about players that can really just shoot or score. But before, you had guys that could be a different situation. So you can have a guy that knew how to play defense. You know, a guy who was a great passer. And I think the game of basketball missing the fundamentals. You don't see very many guys that have great fundamentals in the NBA because most of them have been drafted to score points. So a lot of these guys don't even know what defense is, defense is until once they get in the NBA. Now they're forced to do something that they've never done before. So, you know, if anything, I would just love to see the NBA go back and maybe let the fundamentals be more of a, you know, more important to the game, uh, more big men involved with the basketball game and, you know, there's nothing wrong with three-point shots, but, you know, everybody's shooting three-point shots. Nobody wants to come to the gym and see the seven-footer shooting uh, fadeaway uh, three-pointers. It's just not a fun thing to see regardless of what they say. Uh, so something has to change in the future where, you know, they have more fundamentally sound players on the basketball court and they're not all out there just casting up threes and trying to score points. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing Brooke Lopez and DeMarcus Cousins now shoot threes, two guys that yeah, were I mean, known for being in the in the post. Yeah, and I, I think, like, sooner or later it has, to, it has to come to a point where they say, look, that's like you watching a game with Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Kareem is out there shooting three-pointers. It doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. It's not a good fit. And somehow, some way, they, they've got to get – those fundamentals get back into the game where the big man is down low. You have sharpshooters. You got guys that can really shoot good two-pointers. You don't see any guys like Ricky Pierce in the NBA anymore, any guys that can just shoot the mid-range jump shot. You don't see those things anymore. Only only thing you see is guys that can get hot every once in a while from the three-point line or guys who can drive the ball and make a couple of layups or guys that can dunk. So you don't see a lot of the intangibles that you used to see in the game of the NBA. Is there any player now or after you retire that, in your mind, resembles you at all? Well, I, I, I mean, I like Blake Griffin. I think when you when you watch his athleticism, he, he, he's great and he reminds you a little bit of me. But he didn't have kind of the skill set of me, and he wasn't as strong as I am. Um, I guess the, the closest player probably to myself would be LeBron uh, because he's so big and he's so strong. Um, but the only thing with LeBron is that he handles the ball a lot more uh, than what I did. So, you know, it, you just don't see any big man that are able to play offense, defense, run the court, dribble the ball. You don't see a lot of those little things as you used to see in a game anymore. It's just, and it's really about scoring points and, and um, you know, all about scoring points and offense. It's not about a guy like myself who could, control the game in the fourth quarter on the defensive end by blocking shots, getting rebounds, pushing the ball up court, finding shooters, or even drawing fouls for myself. So you don't see those things anymore. So it's almost, you know, sometimes it's tough to watch the NBA game now because 
you have you shake your head at these guys because they they haven't been taught the right way. Sean Kemp joining us. Play it out it slash Jake Brown, iTunes Podcast, Spotify, and Stitcher. Your son is playing right now. Now he's in the development league, correct? Yeah, he was playing at the D League. Um, I'm not sure if Junior's gonna keep trying to play. He's actually back here working right now, but I think he he, he definitely he wants to play, enjoys the game. Um also have two boys. They're actually in college. One one's in, one's in college right now playing. Uh, in junior college, and my other son is in high school, who's a really good player. He's just a sophomore in high school this year, and he's having a great season. He's um, he's probably the most resembles me at this point in time, which is Jamon Kemp. So, you know, I'm hoping that they they do well in basketball. But basketball is not everything. My main thing with these guys is just to push them through college, hope they get a great education, and they can do something positive with themselves. Well, now we're in an era where a lot of people go overseas and make like an actual really good living. I mean, some, yeah. some guys get paid pretty well over there. I mean, has your any of your sons uh, thought about going overseas? Definitely, definitely. I think Junior has thought about going overseas, and he wants to – he wants to uh, do that this summer. He'll be he'll actually be out playing in the NBA summer league this summer, and I mean I'm all for that. But I'm also I'm also for these guys to be able to, you know, secure themselves and you know you you chase your dream if your dream is there. You got to put the work behind it, but you got to make sure you put the work because it's so much. You know, you you see how many how much these contracts are right now, so you can imagine the pressure that these kids have and they're putting among themselves right now trying to get those contracts so the players that are going to get those deals are the ones that work the hardest the guys that live in the gym the guys that are going to put that effort so uh you know a person's name or their father really not going to get the application through the door it's going to be the talent it doesn't matter who your dad is or who you you know who you play with it's going to matter what you do on a basketball court and you know uh with the contracts they're giving out right now i mean you know these guys they just got to put the effort out, man. It's, it's hard work because there's so many young people trying to play basketball as kids from overseas. Can you still ball at all? I do. I do. I still ball. I, um, you know, I play with my sons. Got to have bragging rights around the house. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have the bragging rights around the house with your boys. So, you know, one of the things I always told myself is that keep myself in shape, make sure that I can still play encourage them i want to play with them make them better and uh you know if i let myself go they're gonna they're not gonna take it as serious so we try to try to keep everything together what else are you up to uh these days what are you up to yeah well i got into the restaurant business before a couple years ago so now we're, we're building a new restaurant which is downtown seattle which is a pretty big one in pioneer district and uh Things are going well. Just built a uh, apartment building over in, in Bellevue, Washington, which is about 20 minutes from Seattle. So, you know, uh, you know, not just with basketball, but just with business. I think I've been able to, you know, work with the same people now for about 25 years. Same agent, same same financial people. Um, you know, and that's the name of the game. The name of the game is to be able to play basketball, enjoy it but also save your money and be able to be prosperous after you get done playing and live a good life where you can enjoy life but also give back and help others. Sean, in the words of DJ Khaled, secure your bag. Absolutely. That's what Absolutely. he says. And a lot of these young guys, they they get this money and they, they see these contracts, but the name of it is, is to be able to protect that you know, for a lifetime and be able to enjoy life and 
not just for yourself, but you want to be able to take care of your moms and your and your family and, you know, be a part of the community. Um, you know, I've been married 18 years. My wife lives here in Seattle. She runs a foundation. So, uh, you know, I've been fortunate to be around some good people, you know, for the majority of the time of my life. Um, even though I made some mistakes early on, been able to be prosperous after that. And that's what it's about, man. It's just about being able to learn as a young man and take those things as an older man and make it happen. Sean Kemp, six-time NBA All-Star, SK40 underscore Rain Man on Twitter. Appreciate you coming on the Jake Brown Show, man. Hope to talk soon, and uh, Happy New Year. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Jake, thanks for having me. You know, hopefully uh, we'll win this game this weekend. You never know. We could be playing the Giants out there soon. Oh, bring it on, baby. Bring it on. Bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, Sean. All right, man. Enjoy the day. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.